Welcome to Max and Murphy. And now I'm very pleased to move to our second guest, and that is State Senator Jamal Bailey. We're very happy to have him on the show. He represents uh, District 36 in the State Senate, which uh, for our focus on New York City includes a big chunk of the Bronx, but also some parts of Westchester. And we'll talk with Senator Bailey about his accomplishments, his priorities, and also the fact that he is now the leader of the Bronx Democratic Party. State Senator Bailey, thanks so much for joining us here on Max and Murphy. Hey, Max. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hope all is well. Uh, doing okay. How are you doing today? You know, listen, uh, today is actually my, my, my youngest's birthday, so it's a, it's a great day in the Bailey household. So, you know, four years old is a, it's a big milestone, so Daddy duties come first, um, so that that's uh, that's the highlight of the day so far. But uh, very interesting. My our uh, our only is going to be four in in just a couple of months, so we're right right on track there too. Uh, precocious and, age, amazing! Yeah. Congratulations lot, to you and yours. A lot of fun. Yeah, same to you, same to you, and happy birthday there. Um, Thank you. So it's great to talk with you. Wanted to have you on for a while uh, and really glad to, to make it happen here today. So tell, tell folks just a little bit about sort of um, when you joined the legislature and since you joined, you know, sort of the broad areas that you've uh, most focused on. Sure. So the 36th Senatorial District, as you mentioned, is the Northeast and Northwest Bronx and the majority of the city of Mount Vernon. And I've been here for four years, and thankfully to the constituents, they chose me for another term. So um, I'll be coming back for another two years. Um, we were in the minority. I was the ranking member on the codes committee. And one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, make an impact in the justice system. I'm an attorney by trade and I look at the discovery laws that we had. And I realized that, you know, these are things that are Byzantine to say the least. Um, if you're a civil practitioner, like I was, um, you get plentiful and sometimes overwhelming discovery where, whereas if you were a criminal defendant or criminal accused, um, you would get little to no discovery. So, um, we made glacial changes once we got the majority in the state Senate under the leadership of Andrew Stewart Cousins and uh, the amazing freshman that came in and, and, and gave us so much momentum. We, we got that majority. We got the momentum and we passed bail reform, criminal justice, um, discovery reform, speedy trial reform. And most recently in June, one of uh, the most signature accomplishments that I, of my short legislative career has been um, the, the repeal of subsections this year with the civil rights law, which was a um, impenetrable bar towards receiving personnel records um, for police officers and other uniformed officers who had uh, been alleged to commit, uh, alleged to have committed uh, offenses against uh, so many individuals. And that's something that I think that we really stepped up and did as a result of the mass protests after we saw the, uh, the on-camera murder of George Floyd. What are you hoping uh, is then the result of the repeal of that 50A law. What do you what do you hope happens now, based on the fact that what has really been you know talked about for for especially in the last few years um, as such an important part of the police accountability discussion. But what do you what do you hope is you know the idea of repealing it is not really the end there, right? That's a means towards an end. What do you what do you consider the goal there? that repealing 50A gets you towards or you hope comes after? Well, spot on, Max. It is a, it is a means towards it. It, it is by no means um, a, a magic bullet solution, no pun intended. There is no one item that can reform our justice system. We have to have uh, a collaborative totality of circumstances-based approach. And what 50A, in my opinion, what I hope that it will do, as we will see over time, 
transparency can lead, greater transparency can lead to greater accountability. And it can lead to that public trust. There's often a conversation about bad apples don't spoil, but one bad apple can't spoil the bunch. And let me just make sure I, I, I say to preface this comment, um, I am in no shape, form, or fashion anti-law enforcement. I believe that police and community need each other. However, trust is a crucial and critical part of that police-community relationship. Bad apples don't spoil the bunch. Bad apples make me not want to buy apples. And so if, um, if community residents simply don't trust those who are, that they're in close contact with, they're going to have their guard up. And if they have their guard up and the police have their guard up, we're not working together like we need to. Mm-hmm. And and you're hoping that that produces uh, a greater sense among police officers that you know it, it, they they need to you know think twice or even a third time or whatever it might be you know about how they're serving the public or you're hoping that it leads to you know swifter discipline um, you know what do you think what do you think then the next step even beyond that is do you think um, you know, do you think at this point some of what we've seen already come to light um, because of the repeal of the law? We've, we've seen a lot of disciplinary records now uh, be publicized. Um, you know, do you think it, it's indicated that there's uh, a lot of officers, especially in the NYPD, that really are in the long, wrong line of work? Well, I wouldn't say that necessarily they're in the wrong line of work, but you can mm-hmm. see where there are patterns. And you can see where certain behaviors that consistently take place over and over again. Um, now we, ha- we should have that information so that corrections can be made by the powers that be, those supervisory powers, those individuals in charge of the individual precincts or the individual commands or up to the re- level of the commissioner to understand that people need officers that they can trust. Uh, we, are, we, we cannot always agree. I guess I, I can understand that. But people need officers that they can trust. And when you have individuals that have consistent, ongoing, and persistent, for lack of a better term, um, violations or actions against members of the community, um, that leads, again, the public to not want to um, be around officers. And again, it, it, it creates a, a hostile environment where there should be no hostile environment. So, yes, I do believe that the transparency can lead to, again, greater accountability via us knowing who's actually out there policing our, policing our streets. And by and large, I believe that the administration should want to do the right thing. Interesting. So um, we, could, we could spend our whole time together on this subject, obviously, but let's talk about a few other things. Um, what's, what's next on your agenda you know, as an individual legislator? And then I want to get to sort of the broader Senate and the legislature, but, um, you know, top of the sort of agenda for you as you look towards either you know, any type of special uh, session that might happen before the end of this year or in the new year when there'll obviously be a lot of action related to the state budget and, and legislative session. Um, but for you individually, are there are there top priorities that you have? Well, I, before I go individually, I've got to make sure I top line it with revenue, revenue, revenue. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get into that conversation. Um, we, we are, yeah, let's come, we'll come right back to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to make sure that, that, we, that the public Absolutely. folks know that, that that's where I'm at. But as an individual legislator, you know, I'm very passionate still about criminal justice as the chair of the codes committee. There are mm-hmm. some great things that we can, that we can get done. Um, useful interrogations is, is uh, it's a bill that I, that I, that I am the lead sponsor of and having, having young folks having counsel while they're in the interrogation room. If you look at what happened with the exonerated five, um, if we imagine a scenario where 
those young individuals had counsel whilst being interrogated that may, maybe we never get to the terror that they faced. Um, so that's a, that's a justice reform bill that, that I'm the lead sponsor on. There are some other le- justice reform bills that I'm not the lead sponsor on that I'm currently um, uh, excited about. Senator Myrie's, um, he has a packet about uh, record expungement. Um, Senator Benjamin has a package, um, the less is more about parole violations, um, uh, technical parole violations. And those are things that we should be looking at, figuring out how can we get individuals who are returning home back to society at post-incarceration, a legitimate chance, not just a here's a Metro card and $5 type of chance, legitimate mm-hmm. ways of actually contributing not only to their own families but to society at large. And on the economic development side, I am a huge proponent of worker cooperatives, worker-owned businesses. Um, I, I, I happen I had the opportunity to go to City Hall and, and speak in, in about an initiative that, that Mayor de Blasio was doing to try to um, spur that on in the city. Um, working yes, on businesses um, are, you know, battle-tested, recession-proof, more or less, and they really get the economy going. And I think that's what we need now. And I and one of the bigger projects that I have is trying to create a uh, a state-backed center uh, concerning worker co-ops, where you know where worker co-ops can go to this center for guidance, low-cost loans, maybe some grants as well. And trying to just make sure that worker ownership is the way of the future. That's uh, that's one of my bigger picture goals, I would say. Interesting. Uh, well, we'll have to definitely talk more about that uh, down the line. Um, so you so you you mentioned revenue, revenue, revenue. Uh, what do you want to see happen here? I mean, there's a lot of discussion right now about the state legislature taking some action to bring in revenue. Um, the governor is really seeming to sort of try to tamp down that discussion to wait and see what a what comes out of Washington, either both end of this year or right at the beginning of a Biden administration, what's going to happen here? Or what do you at least want to see happen? What I'd like to see happen, look, let's make the acknowledgement that Mitch McConnell has been completely deficient in his duties and he's been a part down in Washington and and we should get money from, from the federal government, point blank period. He was more concerned about getting Amy Coney back. But that, but that, not being, that being said, um, I think it's critical for us to do something at the state level as well. Look, we have small businesses who are quite literally who we don't, who are operating on a week-to-week basis. Um, these small businesses have been the lifebloods of our communities, and they were the first people to call our offices. They called my office to say, Senator Bailey, how can we help? Not the other way around. So I think we owe we owe a duty to try to figure out how can we get funding, how can we get access and resources to these uh, these small businesses, especially if we're going to be looking at a potential state shutdown or city shutdown as well. Um, Taxing the rich is, is, is something that is, is an interesting concept. And yes, those who make more should pay more, without, without a doubt. We have to look at other ways, other creative ways of trying to generate revenue in our, in our state and, and making sure that we can, you know, we can balance the needs of everyone. Mm-hmm. So raise taxes on, on, you know, there's talk obviously of raising taxes on multimillionaires, billionaires. Um, when you say other ways of raising revenue, are there things at the top of your list on that or? Well, there'd be conversations about, uh, the, the, uh, about sports, about mobile sports betting, for example, mm-hmm. I am a huge sports fan and, um, often my Twitter is laden with more sports and it is politics, but, and, and, but I have friends who go to, you know, you know something I gotta yeah. do, I gotta do, but, I have friends who will go to New Jersey simply because they can place a bet in New Jersey as opposed to New York. I, 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 
you know, I'm, I'm not taking a position on gambling one way or another, but I believe that if, you, if people are able to do it and they're leaving our state in order to go to another state simply to cast the bet that they could do either from the comfort of their home, that they could do from the comfort of their home as opposed to going somewhere else, I think that we should be looking to try to, um, to, uh, to obtain that revenue. That adult use cannabis as well, I believe that that's something that we should be, um, that we should be doing in this state as so, well, so, and, you know, in those revenue streams. So in the summer, the, the majority leader of the state Senate, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, uh, who you mentioned earlier, announced a work group on revenue. But we haven't really heard much about that since when we had Senator Gennaris, the deputy leader on the show, um, I guess it was a month or two ago now. He said the work group has been working and is you know preparing. Um, do you know what the status of that work group is? Is the Senate you know close to making some real recommendations here or what, what's actually going to happen on this front? There are always conversations. I think that I think that the members of that of the work group are always working hard. Uh, as a, as far as the specific work product, as I'm not a member of that work group, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But you know, rest assured that you should be rest assured that the members of the New York State Senate are working incredibly hard uh, for a solution to make sure that you know we close this revenue gap in our state. And just lastly, on this topic, do you do you see the legislature doing something this month or do you see it as more of a, you know, sort of 50, 50 jump ball, not sure what's going to happen given Washington and the governor's stance? I, I'm hopeful. I, I, I will, I will do whatever my leader asked me to do. I will mm-hmm. be where I need to be. I, I remain hopeful that we do, that we do actually do something this, uh, this, mm-hmm. this month. So in our last uh, five minutes here, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about uh, a little closer to home, although we're all we're all fairly close to home these days, even if you're doing Albany business, I guess. But um, I know you've made a, a, a trip or two up up to the Capitol. But um, but you've been recently elected to lead the Bronx Democratic Party. Uh, how are you thinking about that? This is a what a time of, you know, sort of transition in the Bronx among Democrats. Uh, you had your predecessor both uh, leave that position and the assembly, Marcos Crespo, uh, you know, Ruben Diaz Jr., we all thought was going to be in the mix of this mayoral race, and he decided not to run. Ruben Diaz Sr. is, is leaving politics after losing his con- congressional bid. I mean, there's a lot going on up there in the Bronx. Um, how are you thinking about leading the, the party? Good. Uh, I, I think that we have a lot of... Um a lot of energy, and I think that some, one of the greatest things about democracy is dissent. Um, I, I pride myself on being a listener. I know I'm not always right, but I, but I pride myself on always listening. I, I want us to be able to come to the table and, and sit down and figure out what's best for the Bronx. Like, and, and I think, and I think that, is, that is what we should be doing as, as political leaders. We should be making sure that we have individuals in office and that individuals that aspire to be in office that are policy-driven, because if you're policy-driven and you're focused on creating actual actual solutions to the problems, then problems don't persist. Now, a lot of that is very theoretical and, and based upon a lot of other things that to, to take place. However, I do believe that we can do it, and I think that what we've seen come out of the Bronx in terms of justice reform, in terms of immigration reform, in terms of health care reform, in terms of just like the Bronx, we've been leading on a policy level on, on so many way, in so many ways, and I'm excited to to um, you know to, to lead the organization from a political perspective, C- continuing to learn every day is a learning experience. But um, I, I'm I'm excited about the challenge that lies ahead. 
And of course, uh, the Bronx and part of the reason uh, that, that the Bronx has been leading on those matters is Bronx, the Bronx is home to, to uh, I think what you'd call him your mentor, uh, the Speaker of the, the State Assembly, Carl Hasty. So obviously a lot of political power resides in the Bronx, no matter how much uh, other fluctuation might be happening there. Um, so I, the, the, you obviously are in the state legislature. You just won re-election. Uh, a lot of interesting things happened in those elections. But now we're turning the corner to this city election season. What's the Bronx Democratic Party, you know, doing about, you know, races like the borough president race and all these city council seats that are open? How are you approaching, you know, sort of which candidates you want to really embrace and, and promote and back, um, and, and there's so many, you know, crowded fields. How are you approaching leadership of the of the party that way? Sure. So one, it's always great to have folks who are interested in leadership. Um, but what what I what I want to do is, is I want to try to figure out about thought leaders from other areas, right? So what we've instituted and what we sent we actually sent a, a blast email not too long ago is that we're creating an advisory board, um, advisory boards which are, which are uh, I guess district specific, right? Uh, Community-minded individuals who um, who are interested in in the process and interested in what's going on. Uh, I want to hear what they have to say. I want them to talk to the candidates as well. I want them to, you know, let me know what are they thinking. Of course, I'm going to be also speaking to the to the candidates as well. But I want to hear from this advisory board. I want to hear exactly what is it that you like about this individual. What is it that you think that would make a good member of of this body or whatever body it may be. I want to, I want to encourage more collaborative conversations to help me make a decision in terms of who the best folks are for our, for our borough. And, and in terms of um, who's welcome at the table for that, how are you, you know, how are you making sure that that's, um, you know, representative in, in various ways? A, a varied cross-section. What we've done uh, actually, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it, Ben. We've, we've expanded our, our vice chairs in the party this year to um, to the maximum amount that, that it could possibly have to have a greater um, political, um, you know, diversity across the, across the borough. I'm, I'm very interested in diversity, but not for diversity's sake. Um, you know, and, and it's, and it's um, about individuals who have been active, individuals who have been um, a part of what's going on. And, uh, you know, there there is no particular selection process, um, you know, but we're looking at people who have been active and people who want to be active and people who want to help us shape the future of the borough. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, races in the Bronx. Like I mentioned, the borough president uh, race, you know, given that there's so many, including Ruben Diaz Jr., who are term limited out of their current office, as well as so many city council races. But then there is obviously also the citywide races and leaving aside controller for a minute, um, the mayoral race with Ruben Diaz Jr. out of the picture. Uh, lots of candidates and campaigns want support from the Bronx. Uh, I imagine you're getting a lot of calls. I imagine having, uh, at least when it was a little safer, maybe some more, some, some coffees and, and discussions. Uh, now they might be over Zoom or whatever, but, um, how is that process going for you? I mean, how are you thinking about the, the way the Bronx party, um, impacts the mayoral race without a, a home, you know, home candidate in the race? I, I believe that the Bronx is critical to the success of any mayoral candidate. I believe that the any mayoral candidate who is very serious about being the, the next great mayor of our great city has to not only appeal to the borough of the Bronx, but they have to actually do something for the borough of the Bronx. And so 
I look at it from, I guess, a, a two-tiered lens. Um, I look at it from one, what's your overall track record? Um, what are your skill sets? What are your abilities? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then I look at it from a really, like, focused in Bronx borough perspective. Mm-hmm. What do you know about the borough? <laughs> how can you assist the borough? And, where can, and, and how can you make sure that the borough is better four years from now? or four years from your inauguration day than it is now. Like, like that's, that's all it's about. You know, mm-hmm. how are you going to make our borough better as, as the mayor of the city of New York? And in the, in, before we let you go, in any of the early conversations you've had, has anybody impressed you uh, more than others? A lot of people have impressed me. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, you know, that's a oddly political answer, Ben. I know, but, you know, when, you know, walking into it and you read a press clipping about someone, and you can look, you can read someone's resume, but when you see them in person, socially distanced, of course, um, and you have that conversation with them and you get to look them in their eyes. You get to feel how they feel about the city. I love the city like nobody else. Mm. And I, I really feel like a lot of the folks that I've spoken to really love the city as well. And it's going to be really interesting um, the next few months, this sprint to June that we have for this mayor and primary. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, State Senator Jamal Bailey, um, I, we could we could keep talking politics and, and government here, but we'll let you go. Um, and uh, next time we'll maybe talk about the Knicks a little bit too. Uh, but uh, but it's good to talk to you and uh, and be well and and uh, happy birthday again over over at your house there. And uh, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. And yeah, Knicks. You know that's that, that's that's my that's my love language. Thank you. Man. I know. I know. I hear you. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Take care. All right.